Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello, I'm your host, Rochelle Poulton with Legitimate, and we are here today with some awesome legitimate guests to talk about our favorite topic, budgeting. Budgeting is something that everyone kind of cringes at when they first hear it, simply because it's a terrifying, terrifying topic, but you got to know where to start, and it all starts with how much money you've got in the bank. So with us today, we have Stacey Williams with AZCLG and Angelo Rossetti with FPC Financial. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Angelo, your background, and what you know about the world of finance. I am uh, the owner and founder of FPC Financial Coaching. I'm a Dave Ramsey-trained financial coach. Dave Ramsey has a training program, and then it leads into a mentorship program. And then I opted into being in the mentorship program, so I'm still part of that Ramsey coaching team. Uh, my background is actually I was a school teacher many years ago back in New York City. I owned a business in New York City where I set up uh, training labs for uh, schools throughout New York City, CT laboratories, and then came to Arizona several years ago. And at that point, had an insurance agency, and they hired me because of my ability to work with schools. And then from there, that transition into me realizing that I really, really, really didn't like selling insurance, but I really, (laughs) really, really wanted to do finances and help people with their finances. So I seeked out a financial coaching type uh, position. And that's when I hooked up with the Dave Ramsey group out of uh, Nashville. Awesome. And what about you, Stacey? Well, I have been with Arizona Credit Law Group for just about two years now and have had the privilege to work and learn with Rochelle, who's our amazing host today. Um, I actually come out of a mortgage background. So I did mortgage lending and down payment assistant programs was kind of more of my niche, just helping clients find their ability to purchase a home, even if they didn't have the down payment. So basically, zero down programs were kind of more of my niche because, of course, with budgeting, it's always hard for clients to save along with all their other daily expenses that they're dealing with. So that was kind of my passion and kind of led me and Rochelle into a partnership and had the opportunity to work there. So I'm super excited to see what we talk about today, all the information we're going to give our listeners. Awesome. So let's just jump right into budgeting. So, you know, budgeting, I think uh, the definition that used to go around and circulate was something about, you know, you had a spreadsheet and a ledger and you're very rigid. But today, budgeting is just simply a plan for your money. Mm -hmm. That's about it. So do you care to elaborate on that for us, Angelo? Okay. So budgeting, when I speak to to, uh, potential clients or I talk to, I do group presentations and I say the word budgeting, it kind of falls in the line of root canal. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I've sat with, uh, with clients, husband and wife teams. They come in because we want to discuss uh, their budget or discuss their money situation. And it almost makes some, typically the male sit there and cry and, no, no, I can't be on a budget. And I'm not a kid anymore and I don't want an allowance. So we have to get past that concept and the concept that a budget is a written money plan. And it's, it's imperative that people have a plan of where their money is going to go because if they don't, Nine out of 10 times when I sit with someone, they have no idea where the money went. I agree. I mean, we deal with people in financial crisis on a daily basis. And usually the first couple of questions that we ask is, you know, how much money do you make? What are your bills? Just so we can get a general overview of your financial situation. And it becomes pretty apparent 
some people are operating on that uh, $0 budget. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the month, they have no money left. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, most of those, those clients typically have much more month than they have money. Yes. So it's, you know, <laughs> the 27th day of the month and they're, they're stone broke. And they don't, they're not quite sure how to get on to the next, you know, get, finish the week out. So those are the clients that I typically work with. As a, as a financial coach, we do work with people that are uh, hurting. You know, quite honestly, they, they have some issues with money. Uh, they need to have a budget in place. They have sometimes uh, bills that, that, you know, came up sometimes because of life. Yeah, life. And sometimes it's like the ostrich effect. You know, they just put their head in the sand and hope that things would get better and that doesn't always work. So we try to work through with them on those. Other times people come to me because they're planning. They're about to retire and they're thinking about, you know, how am I going to go from a paid position to retirement salary or income and how am I going to make that transition? And sometimes we're fortunate to get people out of young and say, you know what? Um, I want to I want to plan for the future and I want to start now my you know I, I don't want to I don't want to do what other people have done around me that I see other people do. I think we were saying before we came on about how people decide when to start planning. <laughs> right. uh, yes. Yes. So I I did mention that I, I I do a lot of workshops for teachers and 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 they tend to be younger, they tend to be in their mid 20s to late 20s. Um, and I usually ask that question because part of the workshop that we do, the financial literacy workshops, is asking the question of, you know, when should you start, pay, you know, saving for retirement? And the question, when I pose that question, I get answers like, oh, next week, next month, you know, when I get my master's in like three years, when I'm 30 years old. And I usually give them the quick answers, no, the day you were born. But unfortunately, the day you were born, you were laying there in a diaper and you didn't know any better. And no one told you what to do. So the next best day is tomorrow morning. And that's the day you need to get the budget in and then start planning for retirement. Yeah, because I'm definitely behind a curb on that. <laughs> I think <laughs> everyone is. Are we all? <laughs> so there are so many different types of uh, of budgets and budgeting apps and budgeting tools. And um, some of the most popular are like Mint or You Need a Budget, Pocket Guard, mm-hmm. Clarity Money, Good Budget, uh, Personal Capital. There's so many budgeting apps out there. And it, I don't even think it really matters which one you pick so long as you pick one. Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, use an Excel spreadsheet. Whatever works for you. But uh, first step first is always figuring out what your bills are. I think that's probably the most terrifying realization for my clients when we're trying to figure out how to get them out of a financial catastrophe mm-hmm. is taking a look and seeing where their money goes. Uh, it goes everywhere really mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So... If you had to guess, where would you say that most of your client money goes every month? Okay, so there are, I basically have two types of clients, clients that are proactive, that want to sit down and plan and are you know, looking to set up a budget. And then I have clients that are in, are in a, a catastrophe or in a bad place, and they're trying to figure out how to get out of that bad place. Typically, the clients that are in a bad place, they have no idea where their money's going. And all too often, their uh, expenses exceed their income. Yeah. So we really need to sit down and wrap our arms around what are the, what we call the four walls in the Ramsey world. What are your four walls? What are the things that you have to put money toward? You can't renege on paying your rent. You can't renege on paying your electric bill. Uh, you can't renege on paying your auto insurance because, you know, just not going to have a car to drive or a place to sleep that night. Then there are other things that we look at, things that you could postpone uh, or maybe work out. And then things that you just don't need to buy or you just don't need to spend money on. You, 
don't need to spend $250 a month on cable TV if you can't afford food on the table. And that's, that's the uh, approach that we take when we sit down and do a budget with people. So one of the things that I think is fascinating is I did a quick uh, analysis because I had this theory last year on where is everyone's money in Arizona going? Because I keep hearing it over and over and over again. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. So so just some fun stats. First off, Arizona household average income right now is $56,581. Ouch. I mean, that's actually kind of, I mean, it feels like a lot of money when you say it until you really think about where it's going. So the average rental expense or housing cost is 32% of your income. Right now, if you're renting, it's about $14.95 a month. Or if you're buying, it's $254,000. That's a, a huge chunk of change, way higher than what it was even four or five years ago. And then our food budgets, according to the U.S. Department of Labor, is about 10% of your income uh, is what they recommend that you spend on food. Uh, Good luck trying to keep that in check when you go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Uh, These numbers are really conservative, right? Really conservative. Uh, Your car payment for a new car is about $550 or $390 if it's used. That's another 10% of your income, and that's hoping you don't have two car payments. And health insurance is... Roughly $6,200 a person. Mm-hmm. So for 11% of your income per person is what your health insurance premiums are costing you. And then student loan debt on average is about 200 to 300 bucks per person per month. And other living expenses make up about 15%. And child care per child is about $9,400. And then if you add in taxes, we're at like 140%. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, if you're wondering why you're broke AF, that is why. Um, you get to pick three of those things that you want, and you have to pick food and housing, and uh, you can either have other living expenses, a child, or a college education. Mm-hmm. No car, ever. You choose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, do you feel like some of your clients are experiencing this choose-your-own-adventure? Yes. Yes. And it's student loan debt is, as you mentioned that, it's phenomenal. I, I sit with clients that have phenomenal amount of student loan debt and are trying to figure out what to do. And it's, uh, it's sad when I sit with a client that has student loan debt that the amount of debt doesn't correlate to their occupation or correlate <laughs> to the job or income they're making. Not even so, close. Yeah. So I, I use this example. I sat with, uh, it, were, it was a, two, a younger couple um, in their early 30s, and they were both uh, medical professionals. So their student loan debt was a half a million dollars, but they were also making close to 400000 a year. So in, in their situation, their student loan debt made sense. It yeah. correlated to their income. And basically, when we put a budget on paper, the conversation was, if you don't keep that BMW and Mercedes, you can have this knocked off in two years. If you keep those leases, it'll take you three years. So that was a good place. I've actually sat with clients. She was a young school teacher, just started teaching, had uh, $220,000 in student debt and was making $39,000 a year. You know, there's no correlation between income and student loan debt. So our conversation was, her best plan of attack was to look at the federal student loan forgiveness program, and that has its problems, but to look (laughs) at that versus there's no way you're going to be able to pay this off over your lifetime, and you really want to get out of debt. Yeah, we did a whole podcast episode just on student loan debt, and, Mm -hmm. you know, just to quick recap some highlights. It was about $1.6 is where we are in student loan debt. It accrues at $3,000 per second. 
Mm-hmm. So that's a, quite a chunk of change. And the options for getting rid of federal student loan debt is quite complicated because mm-hmm. there really aren't a lot. It's like taxes. They just don't go away until you die. And even then, yeah. you got to fill out more paperwork. And it's a mess. So dealing with the discharge programs, we help people try to navigate that too. And, you know, the waiting periods are 24 months. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bunch of hoops you got to go through. Right. And it's pretty messy. So talking with student loan debts and just kind of all of these other debts, the biggest problem I think that people face is trying to build wealth. There's a really interesting article that came out from The Atlantic talking about the wealth factor for college education and how it's kind of dropped to zero because of the amount of student loan debt Mm -hmm. that people have to incur compared to what their wealth is. And it's because the barrier to entry to most things like buying a house for the first time at $254,000 when your income's 56000 might not be feasible. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what do you recommend to people with all of these numbers, you know, where their net income is starting at zero? How are they supposed to do the 20% savings rule or a 10% savings rule or open a retirement account? What do you recommend? Anyone? Okay. Well, Following the Dams, the, the Ramsey concept, the very first thing you want to do is you want to eliminate your debt. So you want to put a plan in place. It's a six-step plan, uh, and it's focused on eliminating your debt so that you can start pushing your money toward your retirement. Right out of the starting gate, what we want to do, work with people is to get a budget on paper. That's imperative. So whether it's on paper, it's on a computer, uh, but it can't be in your head. It can't be in the cloud. It can't be something you think about as you're walking down, not driving to work. Vision. You know, not a dream. It's, it hasn't got a goal yet. So we want to get something, <laughs> something written, whether it's on a computer or it's on paper, and something that that's realistic. You don't want it to be so terrible that you can't follow it, because that's another problem. I see people put budgets down and they don't have anything in their budget for date night. They don't have anything in their budget for vacation. They don't have anything in the budget for a special uh, event. And then it, the budget lasts. It's like a diet. It lasts three months and then it never gets, you know, it gets dropped and they're, they're back, you know, with the gym for membership for a year and they haven't gone <laughs> back after this, the third week of the year. So we just want to get a budget that's something that's, that's uh, uh, palatable and something that they could follow. And then have them start to work on a budget and start working toward it. Yeah. So where do you think people have room to cut? So that's one of the things that we do when I sit with a client. We kind of go over all their expenses and we look at each, each expense as a separate line item. And then we, we determine with them, because it's not my budget, it's their budget. We determine what makes sense and what doesn't. So when I sit with a client that's paying, now I'll use an example, $270 on cable and yet they're a couple of hundred dollars short every month, the conversation is how often do you look at TV and is it necessary? If I sit with a client that's spending, and most, most times people have no idea how much money they're spending on entertainment until they actually pull receipts out. We look at credit card statements, we put it on paper, and they suddenly realize they're spending several hundred dollars a month going out to eat. And that could be as simple as a Starbucks coffee in the morning, uh, or a full-blown dinner at some restaurant once, once or twice a week beyond what they really have in their budget. So the object is now, let's get that on paper and let's wrap our arms around it. And let's move that money into the column for your necessities, your four walls, and then move that in the column for retirement and take it out of the column of excessive spending on, on those types of, of entertainment fees. So nothing that says you can't have Hulu and I'm, I hope it's okay to drop a name. Oh, yeah. Hulu. <laughs> There's nothing that says you can't have Hulu or whatever, some kind of streaming service. But if your Disney budget Plus. doesn't allow the $300 a month for the top 
you know, cable, cable package, maybe we need to step away from that. You know, if you want to go out to eat, maybe you don't need to spend 5 or $10 a day on coffees. Maybe we can roll that into a really nice date night on Friday night. So we want to have a budget that people don't feel that they're being oppressed, that, that I could do this. This is fine. I still have a chance to go out. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, you know, budgeting is always hard and figuring out what the happy compromise is, is a process. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. knocks it out in month one or month six because right. it evolves the way your life does. I think some of the biggest factors that me and Stacey see, you know, even when you were in mortgage lending was like, well, I've got to replace all the tires on my car. <laughs> right, right. I think the biggest thing, like you said, is just actually taking ownership to want to look at it. And actually, it's like going to the doctor, right? You actually need to stop and make a definitive decision that you want to look at where you're at. And once you start there, there's really so many ways that you can look at it, unless you're a family that's truly upside down. And in that case, we'll refer them to Rochelle to look at what their options are. But usually, it's just taking the first step to look at where you're at and making the adjustment and making it accordingly. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a fear factor involved Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. and whenever you're dealing with money, the key to remember is there is always hope. There is always options. There is always a way uh, to make your situation better. Um, I think the main problem with dealing with finances is there isn't a whole lot of really great education out there about what those options are or what you should be spending your money on or even how to look at the fine print on things. Because one of the major problems that we see is credit card debt. Mm -hmm. We are kind of a debt-riddled society these days because credit cards are, you have a pulse and a 580 credit score, no problem. Here's 20% (laughs) interest rate that compounds daily. Good luck. Exactly. Um, That $50 t-shirt you bought in January is going to cost you $300. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That's that's when I sit with uh, new clients. And it's the first of the year, New Year's resolution time. They want to wrap their arms around their budget. And as we start going through their budget, we're realizing that they're paying for Christmas from three years ago because <laughs> sitting on their credit card and they still haven't paid that off yet. So the conversation is, you know, how do we get our arms around this and stop that, that uh, spiral and get, get it back on track and get yeah. them to start looking at their budget realistically? And I think what the thing about it is, like you said, uh, along with the fear factor and lack of education is a lot of people don't really wrap their head around how much they're really spending. Um, A lot of times what we saw with mortgage lending were simple things like payday loans and how many people were actually using payday loans to float that extra 40% that they were underwater on and not understanding, well, that's at you know, 300 to 600%. So you're never really going to get out of that payday loan, but they're now in that process. They're in that journey and they don't know how to recover because they didn't realize before getting into that contract how much it was really going to cost them because life was happening. It was, it was easy to get, easy to make, to fix their problem that they had at the moment, whether it was a broken transmission, they needed food for their children, they had to pay um, extra daycare because somebody lost their job, whatever it was that happened to them, they didn't even realize how much it was really going to cost them in the long run. And I think that's the same thing with credit card debt and some other the, some of the things that we see people get into. Well, some of the credit card debt that I see people have is honestly because they don't have the budget mm-hmm. and they don't have the and part of the Dave Ramsey concept is to have an emergency fund. So they're they're living check to check, and the first time something happens outside of what they can afford. 
they have no choice but to whip the credit card out. They're driving home. They hit a pothole, which we don't have too many in Arizona, thank God. But they, <laughs> they hit something in the road, and next thing you know, they have a $300 rim and tire they need to exactly. go out and buy. They don't have $300. Or, or in Arizona, the air conditioning goes out, and you can't live in a home when it's 118 degrees without air conditioning. And we don't have $100, $200 window units. We have several thousand dollars central air conditioning units. <laughs> so out comes the credit card. And that's how they get by through their emergencies. And in the, the world of Dave Ramsey, what we try to do is have a, an emergency fund in place that they could ride out all of those emergencies, whether it's a catastrophic failure of a mechanical system in a home, whether it's a loss of a job, whether the transmission goes out, they could weather those storms and not have to go to credit card debt. Yeah, but how do you get there? <laughs> oh, see, that's, yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds awesome. Like, you just use your emergency fund. But, like, realistically, you know, for for building savings, maybe for the first time or just trying it again, you know, I always tell people, start small. Mm-hmm. You know, start 20 bucks a paycheck. Absolutely. Like, you won't even miss it. And then Absolutely. next year, raise it to 50 bucks. Trust me, you won't miss it. You were already spending it on something else anyway. Absolutely. But the key is to just start. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm in agreement with that. I think that you just have to start somewhere. I think that there is some success, even like you said, five, ten, fifteen dollars. You know, if you can just put that up a month, mm-hmm. it will really start you on the right track and actually start exercising that muscle that makes it seem that it's obtainable. Cause I think that's what happens. Like when you're in it, it doesn't seem obtainable. So then you just don't do anything, so you're stagnant, or you have the ostrich sy- syndrome that yeah. you were talking about. Well, if if it doesn't seem attainable, then you're going to kick the can down the road. You're going to say, "Well, I'll start this next month. Next month will be better." And really, realistically, it's it's getting the budget on paper, and then what we do when I work with a client is we look at everything that goes out line by line, and we have a conversation about it. Do you need cable TV, that level of cable TV? And I'm using cable TV as an example. Do you need to buy that uh, $5 a day or $10 if they go twice a day, Starbucks or, or, you know, or, or Dutch Brothers? Do you, why is your car insurance so high? When's the last time you actually sat with someone? I don't sell car insurance, but when's the last time you sat with someone and reviewed your car insurance policy? And sometimes it's like, oh, that was my, you know, my cousin and he's a great guy and I love him. All right, thank you. But, you know, you shouldn't be subsidizing a particular car insurance company. Let's look at that. And if we could go line by line by line, we could tend to harvest several hundred dollars a month it's not uncommon for that to happen when I go with people line by line by line, and we start looking at overspending in certain areas. Do you need a $50,000 car to drive a mile and a half to work sitting in the parking lot all day, or would a, third, or would a 12 or an 18 or $20,000 brand new vehicle do the same? So that's the conversation that we have with, with our clients. It's a hard look. It's a hard look. It's a life change. But if they're serious, um, we're successful. I, I have yet to have a client that we were not successful with. That's awesome. But, you know, it's a tall statement. It's sometimes that success <laughs> takes, is going to take years. It's not going to happen overnight. No, um, it's a journey. There has, they have to be per, there has to be some perseverance there. Because they didn't get in the situation overnight. Exactly. Yes. So they should give themselves time. And I think being honest with yourself, too, about what your priorities are. Because some people exactly. are just car people. Some people just like nice cars. They don't really That's care about... <laughs> you know, buying a house or clothes mm-hmm. or anything else, but they like a nice car. Cool. Budget for it. Absolutely. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And be super careful because 
Boy, I'm mentioning a lot of companies now. So some, <laughs> some car loans are very, very predatory. Yes. And they'll, they'll roll over negative equity from a previous vehicle into the next vehicle because you sat in that new vehicle. You got the smell of the new vehicle. They're explaining to you how they could get you in this car today. You could be driving this home tonight. Oh, really? I could. Yes, you can. What Five about the car later. I have? Don't worry about it. We'll take care of that. Where will that? How, but I got a loan on it. Don't worry. We'll pay it off for you. No, they're not paying it off. They're rolling it into your next car payment. And I have sat with clients that literally have a $20,000 car. That's what the car costs. The roll, rolled out of the dealership, all taxes and everything included, with a $35,000 car loan. And how did that happen? Because they drove them with a car that was already underwater by ten or fifteen thousand. Oh yeah, we that see sounds that familiar. Every yeah. day, more and more regularly, it's kind of ridiculous because it gets to a point where you know someone has a six hundred dollar a month car payment, and you know it's kind of unsustainable. And you know what are your options for getting out of that car? And you think, oh, I can just give it back to the dealership or, oh, they'll work with me and I can refinance it. No, you're looking at repossession all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And the thing, the train that we saw in 2019 was the rise of the repossession lawsuit. So we saw hundreds of repossession lawsuits for tens of thousands of dollars. We're talking Mm -hmm. a $20,000 judgment at 10% per year secured now against all of your assets. So you know, be really careful about those kinds of uh, loans and and just take a second look. I like the word you use, unsustainable. I think when you look at getting into a contract and have to look beyond the payment, it's not just the payment, it's how long can I make that payment that I think consumers and everyday individuals really need to look at. Like if you're going to go into a purchase, like you said, if that's something, some people like trinkets, some people like shoes, we like to shop as women, whatever that driving force is to you, you need to look at how long can you make that payment? Not just that I can make the payment. Is it sustainable? And I think asking that question really moves the marker to should I make this purchase? Maybe I should rethink it because again, how it affects them, like you were talking about judgments, it's not just that they're going to get sued and they have to repay that enormous amount of money back that the creditor goes after, but it affects their ability to purchase a home in the future or get any other loan. So it's a trickling effect. It's talking about a snowball. Mm -hmm. Just keeps going. And if with anything like a car, you know, there's car insurance and then Mm -hmm. there's gas. So, oh, there's gas <laughs> and normal maintenance. So usually, you know, at the end of the day, it's not uncommon to see a car expense really costing someone about $1,000 a month. Exactly. Um, which is, for some people, their entire paycheck. And that's a lot of money. So just keep that in mind. If you're thinking about buying a car, a new car in the near future, do the math. please that all all goes back to the budget if you if you actually have your budget and you're truthful in your budget and you you take the time to make sure your budget's up to date you're going to go out and buy a new car you're going to make sure that that your budget allows you to own that vehicle pay the insurance pay the fuel on it and pay the maintenance costs and if you don't have a budget then you you'll very easily go in and make an impulse buy uh because Obviously, the gentleman or the lady at the car dealership is there to sell you a vehicle, and they're going to paint a very rosy picture. Don't worry. You'll be fine. We'll work it out. That's you their want this only car. job yeah. is to sell you a car. And <laughs> they typically don't even ask you, uh, you know, how much you want to pay for the vehicle, or they don't have a conversation about interest rates. The conversation is, can you afford $300 a month? You could do that, right? 
And you're sitting like, yeah, I can do that. Meantime, I'm sitting looking and going to people. Is it sustainable? How are you paying 25% interest rate? Well, I didn't have really good credit and they said they'd get me in a car and that's what I needed to do. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, <laughs> this is horrible, you know, and, and this is going to be for the next 10 years <laughs> yeah. and you're, you're behind the eight ball every month. month loan. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're behind the eight ball on your budget and we can't harvest anything out of this vehicle. So what's the alternative in a case like that? That's a perfect scenario that I used to see quite often, the necessity of a car. Um, they don't have c- credit their Mm -hmm. subprime credit or something like that. So what would be the alternative? Because life is happening for them and they need a vehicle. You honestly need to swallow your pride. And that's what I said (laughs) to people and and drive a different vehicle. It's, there is no public transportation in Arizona. We don't have a subway. I came from New York where you could go down a block, (laughs) jump on a train, you pay your subway and you could live without a vehicle if you really wanted to. Uh, You don't have that option. But there, you don't have to go out and spend forty-five or fifty or sixty thousand dollars on a vehicle and have a lease payment or a car payment for that vehicle. You can go in and look at something around eight to ten thousand dollars that we could work into your budget. That's going to be dependable. That's important. It might not be the vehicle of choice, but it's going to be dependable. It's going to be clean, and it'll get you by for several years. And then you move on to your next vehicle. And meantime, during that period of time, you're saving and getting your your finances in order. So you can't afford the next vehicle that you'd like. But a vehicle is only supposed to be a certain percentage of your monthly intake. And we want to make sure we fall within that range. And more often than not, people are not. Yeah. yeah. It's really not feasible for some people because they're already in the contract. You mm-hmm. know, like it's yeah. always great when you have a 2020 vision, like, oh, yeah. I should have. Well, hindsight's 2020. <laughs> half of what yes. I'm right. saying now. That's always great. But when you're in the moment, I think, you know, for a lot of people when um, you're looking at your budget and you're afraid because you think you know your number is negative, just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and sit down and plug the numbers. It'll only take you yes. about 90 minutes, right. which is not that long. <laughs> um, and just do it and see where you are. It's not that scary. And it's never as bad as you think. And like I said before, are always options for making the mm-hmm. improvements. Absolutely. So I think it's just really a, a first point of contact of financial literacy is how much money do you make? Um, I always <laughs> find that question when I ask clients, uh, 50% no to this penny. Mm-hmm. And the rest are varies between, I think I make about and grossly underestimating or grossly overestimating. <laughs> <laughs> and as we start to do the budget, sometimes we hit that client, I'm sure you do, where their uh, required expenses, four walls, mandatory expenses are maybe a 60, 70% of their intake. And then the question is, so... You're, you know, spending, you know, you have $4,800 of bills at the end of the month. You're bringing home, you're clearing 6000 That's 1200 a month. You've been doing that for how many years? Several years now. So do you have like, you know, fifty seventy thousand dollars $70,000 socked away somewhere in a bank? And they look at you like, no. <laughs> well, you, you, your paperwork is showing that you've got this this excess amount of money. Where is it? Where is it? I don't know. <laughs> I could barely make it to the end of the month. <laughs> okay, so let's get our arms around that. Let's see how we can fix this. Yeah, that definitely happens. Usually where I find it is credit card debt, right? Yes. (laughs) It's been going to pay credit cards because those just kind of snowball. At first, it's like, oh, well, I can make the minimum payment. And then another emergency happens or next Christmas happens because we just came off the holidays. And so this is usually the make or break time for people of defaults, the beginning of the default train. 
where the minimum payment's no longer sustainable. And then when you take a look and see what you're actually paying in credit card debt, it's pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the second thing I would always see was what you guys were saying earlier was car loans. That would be the second thing. Just just exuberant amount of payments going out um, just so that they can have a reliable vehicle. And some people, like, yes, they're overextending, but some just don't have any choice and they're dealing with predatory uh, lenders like buy here, pay mm-hmm. pay here kind of situations mm-hmm. where they feel they have to take whatever they get. And we know those vehicles aren't as reliable. Yes. <laughs> so I have I've had conversations with with when I do like classes for for uh, for for financial literacy, and I turn it I turn it around and say you know you don't have to have a car loan if you if you the car loan is basically deferring the payment to a future point in time. Why not turn that around and why not say, you know, I'll stick with the older car for a couple more years, save my money up, and then shift it to where your money goes into an account and you go buy your cars in cash. Uh, it's very doable, but it, it takes a mindset change and it takes a financial change. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I, I try to get people to think about. But generally speaking, when I sit with a client, we're looking at where's what's coming in, where's it going, and if there's any way that we could have less of it going out and more of it staying with you. Yes. How to keep more of your money. (laughs) The goal. Uh, I think that's everyone's life goal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it has to do, too, with buying a home. Most people want to buy a home and uh, start building wealth and have a legacy for family and friends. And I think that, or not friends, really, just family. That's really what (laughs) I care about. But, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, uh, I see a lot of unexpectedly retired, right? You hit this kind of like Goldilocks age where you're making good money, your career's going great, and then all of a sudden the company says, JK, like I can replace you with uh, some cheaper, newer version that'll cost less. And now you're unexpectedly retired because you can't achieve the same uh, level or position somewhere else for the exact same reason you're overqualified. Uh, It's just a story that I see over and over and over again, and it's really heartbreaking because then you see people scrambling to figure mm-hmm. out what they're going to do next. Are you going to invest in real estate? Are you going to flip houses? Um, <laughs> that's a big one. Uh, are you going to work for the next big uh, network marketing thing? Please mm-hmm. probably opt out of that. Are you going to start a business? That's another right. common one. You know, But that requires a lot of startup capital. Become a realtor. <laughs> Become a realtor is always a big one. So yeah. just kind of figuring out like what you're going to do after that. And It's always great when people have some assets. But what I see is people without assets. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you're mortgage high and house poor, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Lots of really nice cars. You have this unsustainable kind of lifestyle that you thought you could uh, continue on. And now you've got to make the shift. So what do you do with people who are ready or looking at that unexpectedly retired but have that kind of debt? So you look at the options. So going into that, the perfect world is having that emergency fund, to have that six months to one year emergency fund so that you could weather the storm. But unfortunately, not everyone is in that situation and that storm pops up and suddenly they wake up and now they're in the middle of the perfect storm and they're trying to figure out how to get out of it. So then it's time to really step back, a cost budget, and then, you know, be realistic. You don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction to it. And I've seen people have knee-jerk reactions. Well, I'll sell my house. I'll take the equity. I'll pay off all that debt. Right. And now they don't have a home anymore. They don't have any equity any longer. They don't necessarily pay off all the debt. 
<laughs> and then as time goes on, they accrue more debt. So it really wasn't a good plan. So a well-thought-out plan. So when I do a budget with people, it's not just the monthly budget, but we do a one-year, three-year, five-year timeline budget, and we look at all of those factors. Where do you want to be a year from now? Do you have children that are going to go to college? Are you going to retire? What happens if your company closes? I've sat with people who said, you know, I don't know. My company might not be here a year from now. Well, let's get something on paper. Let's plan for that. So that's all kind of the short-term, long-term budget all coming together to prevent that. Now, if it happens, then you have to really sit with someone, really, second set of eyes. That's, that's what I am. And put together a plan so that you don't do something um, Reckless. Yeah, reckless. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, that's exactly what we do too with people in that scenario. It's like, let's take a look at what are the positives here? (laughs) Well, I always tell clients that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train. So it is daylight. (laughs) It might not be, you know, three months away. It might be a year away. It might be two years away, but we're going to be able to get to that point. And if it's a situation with creditors, you know, we've, I've worked with clients who've called their creditors up and we've made that, that phone call together. And creditors would rather hear from you than not hear from you. So again, burying your head in the sand. I had a client that took a, an $1,800 bill and turned it into a $10,000 judgment because she totally ignored it exactly. all along. Versus hitting, you know, dealing with it head on the first time she had an issue. And not letting it get to that point, you know, working out something with her creditor paying a small amount and ultimately getting it wiped out versus... When, I hope it goes away. <laughs> well, you know, the, the conversation was when we started talking about it and so how did this happen? And she pulls out a stack of, her and her husband, pull out a stack with a rubber band on it of all the notices they got, the late notices and the judgment notices that were coming and the threat to go to court and ultimately not, going, not showing up for a court appointment and how it turned into a garnishment of her salary or their salary because they ignored it and they didn't hit it head on right day one, where that could have been a simple phone call from the very first day that we can't pay this. How can we work something out? Even if they would have accepted $100 a month for 18 months, it would have worked versus $10,000 being garnished out of her salary. Now, did she just hope that it was going to go away? Is that that reason not responding it? Was she just fearful? Didn't feel she had resources? I think it was a a combination of hoping it would go away Mm-hmm. But really knowing deep down it's not going to go away, but hoping it would, <laughs> and just not wanting to deal with it. Yeah. You know, it was easy, you know, it was easy not to deal with it. Yeah. I think that's what our listeners should definitely take away from this segment is that there are options. Like if something's happening, it's better to reach out and see if you have resources than to just hope it goes away because mm-hmm. it really doesn't. It only is going to exasperate it and make it worse. So yeah, reach the- out. Using a, a debt snowball approach, debt settlement, debt consolidation loans, right. bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of different tools, just good budgeting, good financial planning. Just there are so many options out there for figuring out a particular financial situation. And the internet's great, but it's nothing like talking to an actual professional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you nailed um, it. Because everyone's situation is extremely unique. And just because what worked for your cousin's uncle doesn't mean it's going to work for you. (laughs) Sister Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) No, Dave Ramsey always, if you listen to this radio station, always talks about, you know, getting advice from people that are broker than you and in worse (laughs) shape than you. And then that, just because they're your cousin or your friend doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have some sound advice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think with budgets, mostly um, the biggest fear everyone has is, where to start, like we said in the beginning, get an app, 
open an Excel spreadsheet, or if you like paper and pen, just write down all your bills, open up your bank statement, take a look, see what's going on. And there are so many professionals in Arizona that do financial analysis that can Mm -hmm. actually help you write out a budget. You know, one of my friends, Kelsa Dickey, owns Fiscal Fitness. You know, she's a money manager and she helps people with like awesome training courses and things like that, all the way to people who can help with more sophisticated, complicated situations like you're going through a divorce and you need more strategic planning. You know, Nancy Hetrick in Scottsdale does that. There are so many people in this arena of finance. Um, You just kind of have to take a look and see what what you need. And usually starting with a professional who has a network is a good Mm -hmm. place to start. I agree. I agree. So if you had uh, three tips for people who are just starting a budget, what would be those three tips? Start. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Start. Start. (laughs) Start tomorrow morning. Start as soon as you can. Get it on on a, on an, either an app or a piece of paper, but get it on something, not just floating around as a thought that might be, maybe we can make this work. Get your spouse on board. That's very important. It has to be, oh, yeah. it has to be a partnership between you and your spouse. Sometimes the spouses are both very- Independent. Con- conservative in how they spend their money. Sometimes yeah. you have one that loves to spend money, one that doesn't want to spend money. It's, it's even not as good if both of them- are on two different angles and there's a bone of contention there. But get your spouse on board. Have a, a face-to-face conversation and say, let, let, let's, let's, let's work this out. That's always a fun yeah. conversation. Yeah, the financial stress, yes. I always tell people, is the worst type of stress because it's so pervasive. You lose sleep at night and yeah. it's extremely mm-hmm. stressful. And then unfortunately in relationships, it turns into real stress and it can stress the relationship and cause a lot of divorces. Uh, we have... We work with people and mm-hmm. unfortunately, they sometimes break up over this kind of thing. So I think it's really important to start having that financial conversation early, early. in mm-hmm. a relationship about Absolutely. what your financial priorities are. So that way it's not so terrifying when you have to tell someone, hey, I maxed out a credit card and I haven't paid it and I'm getting sued. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. I owe the IRS. <laughs> or, or, Sorry, I'm, honey. I'm online at Bashes and they're not accepting the card. How are we going to eat tonight? <laughs> yes. Uh, those kinds of conversations awkward. are always uh, awkward, mm-hmm. um, but they're never as bad after you kind of get through the initial phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah which is always, you know, a little contentious because everyone's got their own opinions about money. But once you kind of at least know what the other person's perspective is, now you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can work with it. So I, I have done work with uh, counseling couples prior to getting married. And I've actually been hired by family members to work with their, you know, niece or nephew or son or daughter or somebody <laughs> in that, that case to actually start that budget and get it on paper so that they could start, uh, they could enter their marriage without that stress. So they're both on the same page. They might necessarily, they might not necessarily agree on how money is spent, but at least they're on the same page. And then they go forward from there versus the uh, pair of shoes that are in the closet. And I've had those for six years. (laughs) Don't you remember them? No, I don't. Or the guy that brings the thing home, sticks it in the garage, hopes it gets dusty and rolls it out this summer. Oh yeah, we've had that, that barbecue for for forever. (laughs) That whatever they bought, it's, we've had that forever. It's been up in the closet all these years. You didn't see it. So, yeah, the object is to get everyone on the same page. And what would you say tip three is? Start, find, talk about your finances with your significant other, and what else? I think don't be intimidated by it, mm-hmm. right? Because 
once you get it on paper, it didn't take you, you didn't get into your situation overnight and it's not going to be an overnight fix. So give yourself some freedom to kind of make those adjustments. It's going to be an eye opener and you're going to have aha moments and kind of just give yourself the room to slowly make those adjustments. Because again, you didn't get into it overnight. So don't be intimidated by what you find out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's never really as bad as you think. Like exactly. I said, it's, it's, it's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's going to be a positive light. It's not necessarily a train, but it <laughs> might be approaching and might, might think it's a train, but there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Cool beans. All right. So you guys want to talk about anything else related to budgets? Any pro tips for the super fiscally savvy people? Pro tips. Pro tips. Wow. I would say life insurance yes. is a pro tip. <laughs> life insurance is a necessity. You have to be careful when you do a life insurance policy, the type that you take out. Dave Ramsey is very uh, keen on um, term life insurance and not necessarily whole life insurance, but it's imperative to have life insurance. And so when I, when I sit with a client and I do that, that one-year, three-year, five-year timeline, there's a series of questions that I ask to make sure certain things are in place. And as I start to lo- we start to look at it, things that we start to look at are, do you have life insurance? All too often, people have life insurance that's a work-related policy. They just think that because they have, you know, uh, one times their salary that they're all set and they're perfect. And then we have a conversation about, do you understand that that life insurance is related to your employment? And if your employment should cease, that life insurance goes away. If you have an illness, you might become uninsurable if you try to get your own policy. So we go to that whole education process. We have a conversation, do you have children? Well, you do have children. Well, do you have documents in place to cover your children if something should happen to you. More often than not, there's no will and trust in place and people don't have that. And then, then something happens. And it so an estate plan. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't happen to everyone. It's, it's a very small percentage, but it's very painful when it happens if that paperwork's not in place. Yeah. You know, and that life insurance is a component of that paperwork. And then we look at uh, wills and trusts. And do you have a will and a trust? I don't, I don't sell wills and trusts. But we have a conversation about what the purpose is and then how do you set up a will and trust and who do you need to go see and things you need to ask so that your children are protected. You might have elderly parents who depend on you. You might I had a woman who had several pets and she was concerned what's going to happen <laughs> to them. So there's the will and trust. You got to get that on paper or it's going to happen in a way that you might not be happy with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Having a plan for, you know, death is going to happen just like taxes. So. Yeah. Go ahead and plan ahead. You only have to do it and think about it really that one time for about 90 minutes and then update accordingly. It's not Mm -hmm. that big of a deal. It doesn't hurt that much. I also think, too, when people are, you know, being fiscally savvy, taking a look at your insurance, you know, making sure you've got umbrella policies, having a really good insurance broker, Mm -hmm. someone who can advocate for you and, you know, take a look at your car, your home, your renters, your umbrellas, all of that fun stuff really starts to become a bigger factor once you're out of crisis and you've got your emergency fund and you've got your retirement plan and you've got your your budget and you've got your budget, you know, start taking a look at those bigger um, picture items, the ways that you're exposed. And of course, always an estate plan. It's never Mm -hmm. too late to have powers of attorney in place, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're planning a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to make healthcare decisions for you? Have those kinds of things. Have those documents. They're not that expensive. And there are plenty of estate planning attorneys in Arizona Mm -hmm. willing to help you. 
<laughs> and I like the fact that you said it's nominal. I think a lot of people think that those things are going to be exuberant amount of money for mm-hmm. them to execute or to have on their behalf. But the fact is that there's a lot of professionals out there that are willing to um, meet your budget and help you where, right where you're at. Payment uh-huh. plans. Love those. Awesome. Important. Budgets. Even more awesome. All right. So I think that'll wrap us up on budgets. And if you guys have any questions, you can always email us at legitimate at azclg.com. But Stacy and Angela, please tell our listeners how they can reach you. Um, Name, company, email, phone number, whatever. Well, I am Stacy Williams with AZCLG, Arizona Credit Law Group. And you can call our office at... 480-907-6088. Again, our office number is 480-907-6088. So I'm Angela Rossetti. It's FPC Financial Coaching. You could call my office at uh, area code 623-505-1632. Or you can email me at Angelo, A-N-G-E-L-O, at azfpc.com. Awesome. All right. That does it for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for being here and giving us your legitimate perspectives <laughs> on budgeting. And we will see you next time for our next episode, which we're calling The Rackets. So tune in for that. And I'm your host, Rochelle Poulton, legitimately yours. Talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.